Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me, Lord, just one Well, welcome, everyone, to episode number four of a series of episodes that we're calling Leading Others to Christ. During these episodes, we'll be focused uh, on evangelism. One of our goals is to try to, if you will, stir us up to love and good works, especially in the area of reaching our family and friends with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker. I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana, where I also serve as one of the shepherds. Uh, for those of you who know me, uh, know that I'm passionate about evangelism. I have been ever since family and, uh, well, loved ones, I should say, and friends in the community taught me the gospel, and I obeyed it when I was uh, 21 years old in Owensboro, Kentucky. And ever since then, I've been striving to learn how to do this. Uh, I have a study that I use. Uh, I have, I've, I've taught this. I've taught in other places, uh, done meetings. And, and so this is, uh, this is something that, again, that I'm very passionate about. But I've always been striving to teach others, to sow the seed, if you will, to fish for men, to make disciples, to persuade men and women in essence, to teach others to teach. So I came up with this idea uh, to identify those Christians, those men and women, those fellow workers who are uh, reaching and leading others to Christ. And once we've identified these folks to interview them, and that's, uh, that's what we're going to do today, and we want to learn more about them, who they are, where they are, why are they so motivated to lead others to Christ, and how are they doing their work? So we're uh, enough about me, but we're uh, we're excited today to have uh, someone that I've known for a long time, and uh, someone that that we can learn a lot from. Uh, his name is Brent Hunter, and Brent preaches for the Kirkland Church of Christ in Kirkland, Washington. So welcome, Brent. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, it's great reconnecting with you after all these years. We won't tell everybody how long we've known each other, but but uh, we both had a lot more hair when we first met. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, yes. In a different color. In a different color. There you go. <laughs> but we're so uh, we're so glad to have you with us. And uh, and uh, what I want to do is uh, want to start out. You remember the old elevator pitch thought? You know, like if you got in an elevator with somebody and somebody says, "Well, who are you and what do you do?" And so as you're telling them the story as you go up the elevator, so would you take just a minute here and tell the ones that are listening? Uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, and what you've done uh, over the years. Okay, I was uh, <clears throat> born and raised in Southern California. My father, Walter B. Hunter, was a great soul winner, and I wrote a book on soul winning back in the 80s, and then put another edition out back in 1995. Still available for free for anybody who wants it. It's called um, Personal Evangelism 101, uh, Fencing Lessons and How to Wield the Sword of the Spirit. And I dedicated that book to my father because one of my earliest memories was actually helping my dad with the Jewel Miller film strips. And I was a little kid and when the, the little thing would ding, I'd turn the, the film strip. So some of my earliest memories really is uh, just watching my dad as an elder, just as whenever he could sharing the gospel with people. And he frequently used the Jewel Miller film strips. And back in the day, that was sort of very common and it's pretty successful. Um, 
Then I went to uh, Florida College and really fell in love with the Word of God in a way that um, I just never thought possible. Just, I mean, you really get in-depth Bible studies there. And that really helped my faith in many ways. And so um, then I wound up going on after FC to uh, University of South Florida. And while I was there, I had a hand in teaching a number of my classmates that I met. And that was very uh, edifying and encouraging. Um, and I did in 1974, after my sophomore year, spend a summer with Bob Buchanan, who many of you know is still full-time involved in foreign evangelism. He was only about four or five years older than I was at the time. And uh, he was a great example of uh, zeal and he helped me a great deal. But I think I really sort of learned how to do evangelism more effectively when I decided to go into the full-time ministry. And so I, I got an apprenticeship going with uh, Harold Comer, who's still alive, lives in Temple Terrace, Florida. And he wrote a book called Biblical Evangelism, which again is available for free. You can download that um, off our website for anybody who's interested. And um, he's got some great stuff in there as well. But I basically was hired to go and live in the dorm. I was single at the time. And I had a little Duquesne projector that was portable back in the days before personal computers. And I would um, do the film strips and do a, a number of other things. Uh, and then I'd get, I'd get stuck and I'd run across the street. The church was right across the street from the University of North Alabama. And I'd say, Brother Comer, what would you say here? And, and how do I answer this? And what do you think about that? And then I'd kind of run back across campus and I was so thankful for that tutelage from Brother Comer. And I was only there for about four months until I went to grad school at Western Kentucky University. But um, the last uh, a month or so that I was there, um, I realized that I constantly, mostly I wound up teaching folks that were Baptist and uh, I just jumped right in and taught them the, the truth. And I didn't get their salvation experience up front, which was a big mistake. That's very important to ask them up front, tell me your salvation experience, and get them, before you tell them the truth, what they will say is the reason why they were baptized and that kind of thing. And so I, I learned that I'd get to the end and people would say, oh, I, I've done that. I was baptized. The Bible said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. I was baptized. I was immersed in the Baptist church. So what's your problem? And, <laughs> and so... And then, then you then you say, well, if it wasn't for the remission of sins, and they'd say, really? Uh, well, yeah, I think it was. And so, what are you supposed to do? Were they telling you it's for the remission of sins? And you, it's clear it wasn't. They were Baptists. And but then you don't benefit by arguing with folks in that kind of scenario. So I was losing a lot of the people I was teaching because I I wasn't taught how to do it. And that's why I wrote the book I did. Is I. I think people need fencing lessons to, in how to wield the spirit. We need to teach classes on how to do personal work. We teach men's training classes on how to give good announcements, and we have singing schools, and we teach people how to sing and lead singing. Most churches do not have classes on how to do soul winning effectively, which, True. which True. is a huge, huge weakness among most congregations. And I think if we trained people properly, uh, they'd have a lot more confidence and we'd have a lot more success in soul winning. But anyway, so we had about somewhere around 10 people that obeyed the gospel at University of North Alabama. 
uh, in that time frame that I was there, and the elders were just thrilled, and I was thrilled. And when you share the gospel with people, and their lives are changed, and you can see them being um, just completely impacted. Uh, in fact, one of the the girls that wound up becoming a Christian wound up later on uh, being an elder's wife for um, a church in Vestavia. So I, I I learned that years later when I went to Vestavia for a meeting. That, <laughs> so she learned the gospel. was way back at UNA. So that was exciting. So anyway, then I went to um, Western Kentucky University, and I was getting a master's degree in communication. I felt like we have the greatest message, but we're not doing a very good job of communicating the message. So I studied communication and persuasion with the idea in mind of learning how to be a better preacher and evangelism with that information. I started working with the Eastside Congregation, where Gary Kerr is a member and preacher now, uh, great congregation in Bowling Green. And we went from about 60 to 100 in about 18 months, um, nearly doubled. And a lot of that was uh, just getting a bunch of FC students that were up there at the time and had a class on how to do personal work and um, taught them how to do it. And I was teaching speech. And uh, one of the objectives that they had was you had to critique a, a speaker and turn that in as a part of your class. So I said, you can, you can critique your speech teacher if you like. Um, so I would have the students come in and I just preach them the gospel and then they'd give me a, a feedback on what they thought and I had more leads than I could possibly deal with. And so I would, after people graduated from my how to do personal work class, I would just literally hand out the feedback forms and so uh, several of the people there wound up becoming preachers. Paul Sheehan, as some of you know, was, you know, he was converted during that time period and preached his first sermon at Eastside. And so that was just an exciting time. And what really just amazed me was the skepticism that Brethren had um, having a young preacher come in and we started doing evangelism at WKU. And, um, you know, we wound up in 18 months having about 25, 30 baptisms, something like that. And I remember one preacher's wife came in and we were having a gospel meeting and she looked up at the board and she saw the names of all these new converts and make sure you encourage them and all that. And she goes, what in the world are you teaching these kids? I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> I said, uh, do you think that the criteria for soundness is deadness? Uh, really? Uh, I, I, <laughs> this looked more like the book of Acts than, than anything I can see. Isn't that what we're trying to restore? I mean, what are, what are you doing that you're not getting results if you see in the Bible, you teach the gospel and there's a bountiful harvest? I mean, you're being critical of the fact we're having lots of baptisms? Really? And yet, I just have found frequently that brethren, instead of being thrilled at churches that are really growing, they kind of feel judged and oftentimes are very critical. Um, and that's been one of the discouraging parts of this work is the attitude that you find out there among many that somehow or other, uh, if, you, if you have lots of growth, there's got to be something wrong instead of saying, hey, maybe there's something right going on here. So then I moved to, then I moved to Tampa, got married, um, worked with the North Street Church. We had about 78 people. Same thing. We started talking about soul winning and restoring the mission of the church. And in about nine years, we went from about 80 to over 300. That was, you know, exciting on the one hand, but sort of scary on the other, because you wind up being a congregation of mostly new converts. And uh, that's very unstable. And so um, we wound up having a big split. And it was very, very emotionally difficult for, for a variety of reasons. And um, 
So you've got to make sure that you, instead of growing fast and furious, you, you try to grow slow and steady because you take time to really disciple people and yeah. really make sure that they're grounded. And I think as a very young preacher, I, I, I didn't understand that as much as I understand that now. But so at any rate, um, I well, just feel, go ahead. No, I was going to say that, that that's uh wow. You, you shared a whole lot of things there that we could uh, go in and, uh, and, and kind of try to digest or whatever. But, you know, and you made me think of something when we uh, talked the other day, kind of the pre-interview for this. You, you made several statements to me and I wrote them down and I know we're not going to have time to touch on all of them. But uh, but one that, that you said that kind of fit, you made me think of it. it you made you remember making the statement results demand respect. Yep, I sure do. That's a common thing for me to say. Yes. So uh, would you mind just sharing real quick with our audience what, what you mean by that? Results well, demand respect. Well, well, that had to do with, I get calls frequently from churches looking for preachers that are evangelistic. And, and it's so sad that you've got to you know, say that you're looking for someone not just that wants to preach from the pulpit, but someone who really is concerned about the lost. And they're hard to find. Sadly, um, they are. And um, I tell people that results demand respect. Try to find someone who has a track record of loving people and loving souls and having some measure of effectiveness in that work. And the best uh, predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So maybe somebody says, I, you know, I, I really want to be evangelistic and I'll do better. Maybe they will, but most of the time, look for somebody who's got a track record of growing churches um, yeah, and, yeah. and not just themselves being effective, but duplicating themselves and training people to do what you do so that eventually when you leave the local church, hopefully the local church does great because you've got a bunch of folks who understand the mission of the church and soul winning is a top priority and the church is healthy because it's growing. So um, that's what I meant by results demand respect. You ought to, right look and see what works, which is what you're doing. That's why you call me and you're calling others who have somewhat of a reputation yes. of being interested in this. So, Exactly. Thank you for that. Yes, I thought that was so appropriate. And, uh, and I think that there, my, my experience has been, uh, and you said this the other day when we were talking too, uh, 90% of all churches have plateaued. And, uh, and declining. And de yeah, and declining. And uh, I think you also, a stat that you use, 5%. Most congregations lose five percent a year, uh, and that could be through people that are that are dying or people that are moving away. And and so I just I just think a lot of times we just don't think about these things. It's not something that that many Christians have really studied. Maybe they grew up and they've been most of their life in a particular area, and they don't know anything about the history of the group where they are and how it started and and uh, and who was involved in doing that. And they just think it's always been like this. Uh, and they just don't understand. Uh, you said the other day too, and I'm trying to go through this list. You said, unfortunately, and I, this is not a, a negative interview at, at all, but uh, just the reality of some of the challenges we're dealing with, like you saying the sister that was uh, critical of, uh, of the number of people that were being baptized, were being taught. But you said most churches are in one of two places. They're either in maintenance or mission. What do you, well, what do you mean by that? Well, actually, I don't think it's an either or. Every church needs to put an important focus on on maintenance, obviously taking care of the sheep that you have if you're elders or whatever. But too many churches get wrapped up completely and the local preacher gets wrapped up in maintenance. 
so that there isn't time for mission or time for uh, a focus on the lost in evangelism. And a lot of people really want to do that and want to be more involved. But especially as churches grow, uh, once you get to be about 200, a good conscientious full-time preacher probably is going to be pretty wrapped up in just taking care of members and members' needs and going to the hospital and, you know, uh, doing premarital counseling, doing marriage counseling, doing, you know, all types of things that have to do with uh, visiting the sick. You know, and before yeah. you know it, you know, you're, 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 you're preps, and then all of a sudden, whoops, I don't have any time to get out and beat the bushes and reach the lost. So every gospel preacher and every eldership has to decide how much do I want to focus on mission and how much on maintenance. And I, I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe it's 80, 20 or something. I don't know. But it's right. certainly not zero. No, no church is healthy if it's on zero. Well, there has to be a balance, doesn't there? there yes, has to be a there's a balance. That's why I said it's not an either or. Right, right. You've got to be a healthy church. And, you know, you don't have to, I've learned this, you, you don't have to tell your children, grow. Come on, you need to get taller, you need to get bigger. <laughs> uh, you know, if you feed them and you make sure they get exercise and they have halfway decent health, they're just going to naturally grow. Yeah. And that's the way it is with the church, too. If, if the, the brethren are really fed and they're encouraged and they have the right kind of modeling and example, um, a healthy church is going to grow just like a healthy kid's going to grow, rather than being fussed at because how come you're not sharing your faith kind of thing. That's right. uh, usually not very productive. Well, that, uh, so many good things here. But you, you were talking about Bob Buchanan and Harold Comer earlier. Uh, that's one of the things... Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to come out of this is that uh, there are mentors like Brent Hunter that's out here that would be willing to help and, uh, and help better equip those that are really interested in leading others to Christ. And, uh, and that's, uh, uh, we'll share at the end of the, of the interview here, the contact information. But I want to get back to the Kirkland here uh, real quick while we have time. I know you're using the big picture quite a bit. And I know that, that you also, I went on your website. Uh, go ahead and tell everybody what the, the, the website is there, where you are now. Sure. It's just kirklandchurchofchrist.com. And there's also a kirklandchurchofchrist.org. And .org is the older site that still has a lot of the archives on it, including the information about the big picture. .com is a newer site that we're doing some more seeker-friendly things with, but we haven't been able to transfer all our data over. So we actually have two websites. And I did, that's why I asked, I didn't know. Uh, we talked, uh, our second interview was with uh, Rob Dispinet that preaches in, uh, in Brazil, Indiana, at the Knightsville Congregation. And they've started, I actually did a, a workshop there on evangelism, and they started something that they're calling Go Teams. And okay. it's like, you know, to go. And, uh, yeah, I and, like that. Yeah, I, I do too. And uh, they've divided the, the congregation up into four groups and they have four specific things on one Sunday a month that they go and do uh, as a group. And so that's, there's just so many ideas out here of, uh, of things that people are doing. Uh, and, uh, uh, and again, there's just so many things that you've done. All right, we've got, can you believe that? It's our, we've got five minutes left, Brent, and there's so much to talk about. I know it. Yeah, I spent way too much time talking about my history. I apologize. No, 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 no. That's fine. That's fine. Because I think that's a part of the. Uh, I mean, look how important it is it if you think about 
you know, think about characters in the Bible that we know about. I mean, let's take Paul. I mean, look, I mean, you know, he's so in, intriguing in so many ways, but look how much we know about his past and his history and uh, where he was educated. I mean, he tells us so many things about himself, but I think people, I think people like to hear this really, Brent, of, uh, Maybe it adds to our credibility or lack of credibility. I don't know. But, uh, but I think it was good that you shared that. But here's what I want to do in this last five minutes. We've been calling this the, the one thing. Uh, so if you would, just in, in the last five minutes here. So I'm interested. And I'm listening to this interview. And this interview, now here, I might remind everybody that we're right in the middle of this coronavirus mess that we're in. And that's changed a lot of things that uh, everywhere uh, of of how we're meeting and uh, and all the things that we're doing in evangelism and and uh, but if I'm really listening to this and I get excited about this interview with Brent Hunter and what would be one thing of advice that would help them lead others to Christ if you can narrow it down to maybe one thing what would that be? Wow, that would be a challenge to narrow it down to one thing. I would just tell you a shift in paradigm for me that might be helpful for folks. I started getting really frustrated feeling that people weren't interested. And of course, we know that the Bible says that the harvest is white. You have to believe that people truly are interested and that the problem is not with the people, but with the, the laborers. That's why we're supposed to pray, you know, send laborers into the field. And you have to prepare your schedule so you make time for it. You have to prepare your uh, knowledge base and have something like the big picture to share with folks. And then you have to start to pray, Lord, bring us seekers. Uh, Lord, revive the church beginning with me, you know, is what I usually say when I first come into a local work. Let's start praying that and let's start equipping ourselves and then let's pray for seekers. And it's amazing how God tends to put the prepared teacher who's praying with the seeker. And um, so if you haven't been praying for the Lord to send you seekers, you need to do that because this is the Lord's work. We're just his servants, right? We're just the one who lets the message pass through. And I think that's a very important element to constantly remember that that prayer is a very important factor in this. And uh, you have to lean on the Lord in doing the work. But it, in the old days, as we talked about, you'd have the five or six lesson approach, the Jewel Miller film strips or the Journey to Eternity series, which I like a lot with Mid McKnight. I used that a lot in the early days. I used to be able to get people to meet with you for five or six weeks in a row on a Tuesday night or whatever. It's almost impossible to do now. People are too busy. They're not likely to make commitments to a cell phone plan, much less five weeks to study the Bible with you on a Thursday night. And... Um, So what I've learned is if you can figure out how to teach the basic gospel in one hour, the same hour of the night, Acts 16, 33 with the jailer, you know, they they were able to go around and have these lessons that basically would convict people in in a really concise, powerful presentation. Now, that's not a dip them and leave them plan. That's not something where you, you just do one lesson and think they know enough and go on to the next, you've got to stick around later and make sure that they are uh, grounded. But um, if everyone can figure out, if somebody said, I have one hour to spend with you, tell me the gospel, what would you say if you only had one hour? And I often will ask people with the big picture of the Bible, um, you know, Dan DeGarmo, who's very successful at soul winning, he would say, will you give me one hour to let me share my faith with you? Just one hour. 
And you'd be amazed how many people, just out of curiosity of, of nothing else, and if they've gained some level of respect for you, will allow you to spend an hour with them. Yes. And then you find out from, from then whether they are interested or not versus spending six weeks with somebody. And then at the end they go, well, that's interesting. And they weren't really interested to begin with. So, yeah. so I, I'm a big fan of the one lesson approach, the introduction to the gospel. And then from there, you see the level of interest and maybe they're baptized, maybe they're not, but you know, don't give up. I, I think everybody needs to have at least one chance to hear the gospel versus go back to the same person over and over and over again. Our job is to, we're called to faithfulness, not results. I mean, so our job is to be faithful to sow the seed. And if we do that, we're going to have, you know, a bountiful harvest. And yes. so in some ways, you know, every soul is important, but it's just a numbers game and you have to not give up. So if you go to kirklandchurchofchrist.org and you look under the big picture of the Bible, you'll see a soul winners tab. And there's about 20 pages of information there that I put together of how to set up a congregational evangelism program. And uh, there's lots of uh, audio links and uh, word docs and just unbelievable resources that will help people in being more equipped in, in soul winning. And preachers need to not try to do all the work themselves. They need to take people yeah, with yeah. them and train others so that um, as many people as you can are reaching out to as many as possible. And I, Kirkland's gone from about 90 to about 200 in the uh, little over six years that I've been with them. And it's been a really encouraging work. And everybody's working together. And that's creating that synergy is what you ought to be trying to do as a preacher, I think. Well, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, there's, again, so many, in, in your one thing there, wrap up so many things that you touched on that I've seen over the years of, uh, um, uh, you know, in the, uh, the how to, how the studies, how many studies to have, the what's the best approach, how to read, you know, just think about all the interviews we're going to do with others of how to reach people in the community, how to get known in the community. Uh, one thing that I start, I've been saying here lately is that we need to celebrate. We talk about celebrating the harvest, thinking about when somebody obeys the gospel, but we need to help people understand we need to celebrate the sowing too just to celebrate the fact that we had that, like you're saying, had that hour, had that opportunity to share the gospel with them and, and get, give God the glory for that opportunity. And he'll give the increase, right? If we do our work, he'll give the increase. Yeah. Uh, and the Bible and, talks about sowing with tears because you're so concerned about people's souls. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's important. Yes. And so if you, everyone's doing that and asking people, can I have an hour of your time to share the gospel? you're going to be sowing enough seed that you're going to start having a tremendous amount of results. And if you're praying for seekers, God's going to put those in your path. When I first came to Kirkland, we hardly uh, had any visitors, uh, you know, maybe three or four in a weekend typically. And now we have 20 plus in a weekend. People yes. go, where are all these people coming from? And I'm going, we've been praying for the Lord sends us seekers and then the seekers come and now you're so shocked. That wasn't a prayer of faith, brother. Uh, let's just give God the glory, you know, because yeah. people are out gossiping the gospel and they're talking about the work and, um, you know, we're doing things to prospect, but, you know, churches grow in visitor flow and you've got all these people coming in the door that are interested. And then you got people that are trained to teach them when they come in. And that's the simple formula for church growth. Well, that's, uh, again, this is so good. And, uh, 
uh, brother, it's great to reconnect with you after all these years. And uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on here and uh, appreciate you so much. Appreciate all the hard work that you've done and all those that are around you, your wife and all family, everybody. And uh, uh, with the different, you know how it is when we have different interviews, uh, I'm watching and I, I, I listen to Brent Hunter and for some reason I just really connect with him. I just, I could feel and see his passion and I want to, uh, I want to talk to him. I want to, I want to explore. I want to look at some of the things that he's doing. And there's going to be others like this uh, that, that we'll interview through the year too, that others will connect with. So we're hoping at the, at the end of the day, if you will, at the end of a year that we're going to have a lot of, uh, you know, another resource with a lot of information in it that could help uh, encourage others to get started in doing this and realize what our, what our, I mean, we're, Jesus wanted us to seek and save the lost. And, and, we, and we've got to be about that work. So uh, thank you once again. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you face to face in the future, brother. Uh, so thank you so much for coming today. Okay. Thanks for having me. God bless you. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.